today on Family Talk. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another edition of Dr. James Dobson's Family Talk. I'm Jim Valheis, and today we're going to listen to a classic program featuring our former co-hosts, Ryan Dobson and Luann Crane. Let's listen now as Luann opens the broadcast on this classic edition of Dr. James Dobson's Family Talk. Welcome to Dr. James Dobson's Family Talk. I'm Luann Crane here with Ryan Dobson, and our host is psychologist and best-selling author, Dr. James Dobson. Luann, a few weeks ago, we paid honor right here on Family Talk to one of the greatest men of the Christian faith, uh, Chuck Colson, mm-hmm. who passed away on April 21st from complications that occurred after he suffered a brain hemorrhage. And boy, that family is still in our prayers, Ryan, mm-hmm. as well as uh, I'm sure in the prayers of those listening right now. And um, as a way of keeping the Colson family top of mind, especially his wife of 48 years, Patty, and his children, today we would like to revisit a conversation your dad had with Mr. Colson and his daughter, Emily Colson, during our very first year of broadcasting here at Family Talk. Well, Luann, it was actually the very first taping we recorded in our new Family mm-hmm. Talk studios. Uh, and an incredibly special day because Mr. Colson also dedicated our offices to the work of the Lord. Oh, Ryan, it's a memory that really will stay with all of the Family Talk staff, no doubt. Now, this discussion we're about to hear uh, provided us all with a very personal glimpse into this family that is admired by so many of us. And uh, in the conversation, Emily shared about her son, Max, who has autism. She actually wrote a book about their journey. It's called Dancing with Max, A Mother and Son Who Broke Free. So not only is this a good way to remember the great man Chuck Colson was, but there's some very practical hope and encouragement for parents with special needs children. Uh, so here now is our conversation with Chuck and Emily Colson on this Family Talk broadcast. You and your dad did not have a real good relationship in the early days, did you? We had a different relationship in the early days. My dad was very different before he became a Christian. And I'm glad that I was old enough to be able to see that difference and yeah. be able to witness it firsthand, the change that happened in my dad when he yeah. became a Christian. And something has happened in your relationship too, hasn't it? And there? something has yeah. happened. Chuck, yes, are you all uh, doing a lot of interviews together or are you just getting started? This book has just just come out. Yeah, we're just getting started, Jim. We haven't done very many of them. And uh, you're right in what you said. It was a rough childhood because I was totally obsessed with what I was doing. I'd been day and night gone most of the time when I was in the Marines and at law school at night and high-powered job and government days. And then uh, I ended up building a big law firm. I totally neglected my family and, and mm. lost my first family, my fault. It's my um, goal in life to try to teach dads not to make that mistake. That mm. I and made, mine. Right. Mm. And to realize how important it has been. But Max has coming onto the scene has completely changed my life. Uh, I've learned about love in a wholly different way. I've seen myself through Max's eyes, and Mm. you really (laughs) have to come clean with who you are with Max because he'll expose you. And I've gotten down on my knees on the floor and played with this kid. Mm. I've agonized with Emily as she's gone through horrendous things, and we prayed together at length. And it would be hard. I can't imagine any dad who's closer to his daughter or loves his daughter more than I do. So it's just, it's been a wonderful story of redemption with us. Mm. Uh, she's paid a big price. She's gone through a lot in her life. But Well, let's, let's talk it. about that. Uh, Emily, mm-hmm. you, 
You have a son named Max. That's who we're talking about here. And, and he's gorgeous. He is gorgeous. <laughs> he he's is 19 years beautiful. old now. He's 19. And yes, yes. Uh, when he was born, you began to recognize that there were some things that concerned you. Absolutely. When he was born, everything in my life was really kind of going on target, just as you sort of imagine just this lovely, normal life. Mm -hmm. There I was, was married, had a husband I loved, a baby on the way, a lovely home. I loved my job. Everything was just kind of working. Mm -hmm. And mm -hmm. Max came on the scene, and I was pretty ill-equipped as a mom. And, you know, Max wasn't sleeping. He cried all the time. And at about four months old, I realized it's not that he just didn't make eye contact, but he refused eye contact. Mm -hmm. If you got right in his face, he'd look away. And he'd only look at me when I looked away. So there were these strange things that were going on. But as a new mom, you know, and autism was not so prevalent. Mm -hmm. So you just keep going, but the What did the pediatrician tell you at that time? Well, at that time, at four months, they thought it was pretty interesting that he couldn't make eye contact, and it was more of a wait and see. I think we've got a great pediatrician, but I think at the time it just wasn't such a marker as it is now. It, it wasn't such a red flag. Did, did he use the word autistic to you? Not till Max was um, closer to three mm -hmm. and his language wasn't developing. He didn't, you know, all of the, all of the markers were late. All of those developmental milestones were delayed. So he didn't crawl until the very last second when it qualified as normal. He didn't walk until the very last day when it was okay to walk. But I think that the bigger marker was that when he'd be around other kids or around other people, he just screamed all the time and he'd bury his face in my shoulder mm -hmm. and sob until I got him just to myself mm -hmm. and got him in a quiet environment and sing to him. So those were really the things that were more troubling than even the delayed walking and the, the crawling. Mm -hmm. And he wasn't speaking. I think that that was a pretty big marker. At and that point you too. lost your husband along the way. It was a very difficult adjustment. I'd been a designer and had a job that I loved, and I actually took a shower every day <laughs> and then got thrown into motherhood mm -hmm. at 100 miles an hour, and life changed. Yeah. It really ch it changes for all of us when we bring that first child home and you know we think we're we're ready and it's pretty tough you don't sleep everything changes in your life now the baby always turns a family yeah. upside down it Tim, I'm does. sure you, I'm sure you know this but it happens tragically often that the husband simply can't handle it um, I think it was that year he walked out a year after Max was born uh, Max was 18 months old 18 months. Mm -hmm. I remember being in a playgroup when Max was very young, just a few months old, we joined a, a playgroup with other moms with babies exactly the same age. And I would watch them, and their kids would all be crawling and start to babble and talk and mm. be interested in interacting. And I was just standing there 
holding Max while he was screaming. And I mm. remember going home and thinking, there's a secret that they're not talking about when I'm there. There's something they're doing. And I remember drilling Max one day, thinking he's going to go back with a word. And I'm going to be able to tell him he's got a word because they're doing something in between and in, in the week when we're not together. And so, you know, there was this complete um, frustration, really, and... I don't know if frustration is the right word. Stress is, though, Mm. isn't it? There was a complete stress and bewilderment on Mm. my part, and I was so exhausted, and I loved him so much. I was so crazy about him. And I think looking back, all he did was scream Mm. and perform usually airborne bodily functions, (laughs) and I couldn't get enough of him. And there's an identity crisis in that as well. You're a mom. This is, you're a mom and other mom's kids are babbling and talking mm-hmm. and crawling right. and yeah. doing these things. Yeah. And right. all moms get the comparison. Why won't mine do yeah. this? Right. What's wrong with mm-hmm. me? Right. And not what's wrong with mm-hmm. Max. And that's so hard on women. Right. It's yeah. very tough. And I think we all put ourselves under a tremendous mm-hmm. amount of pressure. Just Especially think I'm a going parent. through a divorce yes. in the midst of it all, yes. which also assaults identity. Oh, absolutely. And and I think in some ways, um, going through that divorce made me cling even more tightly to Max mm-hmm. than mm-hmm. I might have otherwise and really made me push harder and know that this was the one thing left of this family that I thought I was creating and part of. Mm -hmm. And so I held really tightly to Max, and I thought, I'm not letting you go. Actually, Emily and I spent a lot of time together when she was going through the divorce, and I dealt with the lawyers that we had to hire, and it, it, it was very nasty and messy and difficult, and they had a beautiful home which had to be sold. Mm. And I, the anxiety of a dad when this, all this is going on, and I know she's out of her home and actually tells the story in the book of falling down the stairs on the way out, uh-huh. kind of hitting bottom. Mm-hmm. And Did you my, know what she was going through? Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. You understood that. We were on the phone every day, or I would be up mm-hmm. to see her. I, I watched Max develop, and I thought, there's, there's serious problems here. I didn't dare mention to Emily what I was thinking, but mm. you could see that coming. And I could just see the burden of this and then her life crashing in on her. And she was a a baby Christian. It was agonizing. Mm. It was terrible on me because you want to, you just want to reach out and grab your child and protect her and you, and you can't and you got to go through these uh, high-powered lawyers and court hearings and you're in a abeyance throughout it. It is a very, very horrifying experience. Luann, you have four children, mm-hmm. and you can identify uh, with a child who's not autistic or mm-hmm. not disabled, uh, who uh, is just a lot of hard work, and there's a lot of stress on a new mother anyway. Isn't well, absolutely. It? And the feelings of self-doubt, you would come away from a play group or something comparing, and the tantrums and things, and again, the magnitude I dealt with probably was nothing like Max. But to this day, I can think of a certain grocery store right here in Colorado Springs on Academy Boulevard that I would never go back into because my son threw a fit there. Full cart, had to abandon the cart, left the place. I just could not calm him down. Do I have a book for you? (laughs) Well, Emily, let's continue with the story. Um, Max uh, is now about four 
and for the first time you got a definitive diagnosis of what was wrong. Yes, yes. On the heels of going through the divorce, Max was diagnosed with autism. And it was really one of the most grace-filled moments. You wouldn't think it would happen that way. but Just to know what you were dealing with. To know what I was dealing with and to know that it wasn't going to change my love for this child. It, mm-hmm. it, nothing could touch that. Mm-hmm. And I really thought once we got the diagnosis, okay, here we go. Mm-hmm. Now mm-hmm. we're going to know what to do. And we can fix it. We can deal with mm-hmm. this. People are going to help us. We're going to find answers and solutions and places to go. But that was 15 years ago. And things are, even though there's still a tremendous struggle for families that are going through the diagnosis process, it was really tough. Mm-hmm. I mean, the internet was around, but not really. Yeah. And you just didn't know where to turn. So as much as I thought, terrific, we've got a name, it's autism, let's figure it out. There was no figuring it out. It was it was a brick wall. I know from your book, Emily, that uh, a lot of the people who should have known better did the wrong things or said the wrong things and were not helpful to you. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that had to be difficult because you're going to the experts and, well, explain it. Oh, well, we've had many experiences as have other parents who are dealing with disabilities or dealing with any kinds of challenges with their kids. You sort of depend on people to help you out and tell you what to do. Mm -hmm. And uh, we did get some pretty bad advice along the way. We had some good people, but we brought in, I went to every conference that came anywhere Mm -hmm. within 200 miles. I was there, Mm -hmm. I was just soaking in information and reading everything I could read. And I really hounded down this one specialist. When Max was seven years old, I heard him speak And it was kind of exciting because he was telling people that through his methods, he could actually cure autism. Mm -hmm. So I really hounded this man's office. Beware when somebody tells you that. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. Yes. It's not such a simple thing. These kids can make tremendous progress. And Max has made, it's just astounding what's happened in his life. But... I sought this specialist, and when I first spoke with him, Max was seven, and I was really excited, and I said, I really want to implement the program you're talking about. And he said, he asked how old Max was, and when I told him seven, he said, it's too late. You missed your chance. And I was so heartbroken that I thought, oh, no, you don't. (laughs) You are going to come to my house. It took months of my pestering him to come to our home. And when he showed up, we spoke for about two hours sitting there in my living room. And then he walked around my house, and he finally came to the front hall closet. And he said, when Max is noncompliant, I want you to lock him in this closet. Oh, my goodness. And I looked up at this man who I had chased for a year. I had wasted time chasing him, thinking that he had the answers. And there he was telling me to lock my son in a closet, and he would send me a bill. And I just was so heartbroken. And now we'd lost another year. 
And there's such pressure on families with young children because we know that the earlier we get in with these kids, the bigger the impact we can make in their lives. Mm -hmm. And it's so important that we do that. But it's not that simple because there are huge wait lists to get into programs. My son's school, where he is now, has 300 kids on the wait list to get into his autism program. It's just not that easy. And so there's so much pressure for these families thinking that if they work hard enough and do everything they can, they will cure their kids, Mm -hmm. that when the kids turn 8, 9, 10, and they're still autistic, there's a whole second heartbreak that happens for Mm -hmm. a lot of families when they feel that they've failed, that they feel that they've missed the kind of therapy they should have had, and the heartbreak is enormous. But the truth of the matter is that these kids continue to make great progress. Mm -hmm. So if there's someone listening today who's been told your child can't, find a new specialist, Mm -hmm. find a new doctor, because you want the people who say, we're going to find a way, Mm -hmm. because there is a way. Emily, take me back to that diagnosis. That must have been quite a watershed day for you. What mm-hmm. happened at that moment? Mm-hmm. It was a really tough day. You sit in a room with your child, with all these specialists, mm-hmm. taking notes and analyzing your child and studying them, and you really don't know what's going on. You don't know what they're writing. It's really tough to watch your child be tested, realizing mm-hmm. he's, not, he's not hitting anything that they're asking him to do. That's vulnerable. They brought us back into this little room after they'd all sat together and met and certainly had come up with the diagnosis. And they all sat with me. They didn't tell me that day. But as I was bantering them with questions and realizing they were no longer asking me questions, Mm. Max started to, he'd had a really long day. It was really tough for him to be tested. And he threw himself against me and kept trying to hug me, and I'm trying to ask questions and look past Max, and all of a sudden I thought, you know, there's really nothing I need to know that they're going to tell me that's more important than this moment with my son. Uh Sorry. (laughs) And he just pushed his cheek up against mine, and I just melted into this boy. It was the most grace-filled moment, and I could hear these four evaluators who were watching us just ooing and eyeing as Max was in my arms. Well, they were witnessing that mother's love that only you could provide to Max. Yes, they were, and they knew it was autism, but they didn't tell me that day. I didn't know till later. And Max knew that you loved him, didn't he? Oh, yes, he did. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, he did. What uh, was Max like at seven years of age? Well, I think at seven, we started to come into some of the hardest years, seven, eight, nine, even into Mm -hmm. 10. Those were some of the toughest years for us. The tantrums became enormous. Mm. You know, as you're saying, Luann, you'd never go back to that grocery store. Well, we'd never be able to go anywhere Mm. because there were tantrums all the time. And 
You're not just describing screaming, excuse me. Oh, Give no. us a picture of what, it, what did you see there? This is almost, I guess I describe it as an anxiety attack. Mm-hmm. It's not the kind of tantrum other kids have where they want to buy something and the, the mom is saying no, and so the kid throws himself on the floor until the mom says yes. What Max wants is for the world to make sense, and it doesn't. Mm-hmm. And he's looking to me to help him make sense of it. And it was really overwhelming. Mm. And when he'd do it, when he was younger, I could pick him up and move him. But, you know, by the time he got to nine, I was lost. There was really nothing I could do unless I thought of some really quick, clever bribe. Mm. (laughs) And in the autism field, they call that a reinforcer. (laughs) (laughs) The The rest of us call that a bribe to move him out of the space and mm. shift the situation for him. He was also at that age Jim, bigger than Emily. And <laughs> he's grown fast and he's a big guy and she's learned how to manage him. Most It's miraculous, the 110 pound mm-hmm. girl to me, thereabouts, <laughs> uh, handling this big kid. And I would live through some of those tantrums and, and they're really, really tough. And you can't understand what's in that young man's mind. You have to learn to be in his place. Mm. This is what really, for me, has been a life changer. You know, I usually think other people are tracking with me. Here's somebody who can't track with me. i got to figure out how to track with him. Mm-hmm. And Emily's done it brilliantly because she draws pictures and has that gift, and she can yeah. show him. And you're context. an artist, aren't you? Yes, mm. I am. Yeah. Yes, I am. Well, Ryan and Luann, uh, our time is already gone, and we're really just getting into your story, Emily, and uh, I would like to do another program with you. Would you uh, be back with us? Oh, I'd love that. <laughs> yeah. The uh, title of the book is Dancing with Max, and Chuck, I'm anxious to have you tell our listeners about what Max has meant to you and what your observations of him and his contribution to the human family. Well, this is the amazing thing. We need kids like this because they expose us for who we are and they teach us lessons I couldn't have learned otherwise. And they really have changed our family and changed the lives of thousands of people. Huh. One day when Max was and Emily were with us in Florida, I wanted to go over and see some very dear friends. So Emily and I had packed up Max and we went over and, you know, we walked in and he was very good about it because he was getting a little easier to introduce to new situations and mm. people as long as you kept control of the noise. We got into the living room and sat down and Max sat on the couch and I thought, oh, this is great. This is, this is really going to work. And we're having this nice conversation. All of a sudden, Max bounces up, goes to the center of the floor and says, where are the vacuum cleaners? He loves vacuum cleaners. <laughs> loves vacuum cleaners and car seats. And he's got these – and bananas. He's got these obsessions with things. Well, all of a sudden, this rather staid conservative family are a little startled. That, and they went and got the vacuums. And it turned out there were four or five vacuums in the house. And Max is saying, come on, turn them on, turn them off, turn them off. <laughs> he is now directing these – people as they're dancing around in a circle. And I'm watching all of this and thinking, I've never gotten these people to laugh like this and enjoy themselves like this. And they were having such fun. But you could see the joy he brought into their lives. It was just, it's such a blessing. (laughs) Well, let's hear the rest of the story, or at least more of the story, uh, next time. Uh, Chuck Colson 
And Emily Colson, thank you for being with us today again. Thank Chuck, you. My thank goodness, you so you've much. been on the air with me at least 40 times, and I would like to make it 41. So uh, <laughs> if you'll be back with us, we'll uh, pick up the story next time. We will indeed, Jim, and those have been wonderful experiences over the years. Uh, thank you so much. We'd love that. And thank you Thank very you, much. Emily, for that smile. Thank you. Because <laughs> despite where you've been and what you've gone through, you have hope. We have joy to share. <laughs> okay. Luann, what a privilege it was to sit down with Chuck and Emily Colson. Uh, they were so honest and open about their struggles, uh, and this time together with them has been made all the more poignant since uh, Mr. Colson's passing. It was such an immeasurable loss for the whole world, Ryan, mm. but really you think about it, particularly for his family, including Max, who we heard so much about today. We ask all of you to continue to be in prayer for this family, um, Emily and uh, Max and his widow, Patty, and the rest of their family. Well, to learn more about the legacy of Chuck Colson, make sure to visit drjamesdobson.org. Also there, we have Emily's book available. Again, the title is Dancing with Max, A Mother and Son Who Broke Free. If you prefer to call us for that resource or even a CD of this broadcast, the phone number 877-732-6825. Again, connect with us at drjamesdobson.org or the phone number one last time. 877-732-6825. And this reminder that if you do listen to us on Terrestrial Radio, let us know the call letters of your favorite Family Talk station. Thanks for tuning in today, and we invite you to be back next time for more with Emily and the late Chuck Colson right here on Dr. James Dobson's Family Talk. You've been listening to a classic edition of Dr. James Dobson's Family Talk, featuring our former co-hosts Ryan Dobson and Luann Crane. Be sure to join us for part two of this inspiring conversation on the next edition of Family Talk. Family Talk is not associated with Focus on the Family.